Thanks for listening to this podcast of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church from May 17th, 2020. Uh, Pastor Dan will bring us to a message from 1 Kings 3, Creating Shadows, and you'll hear live worship. We have deleted almost nothing from the podcast today, so this is the entire service, and that is because we have some folks, because of our COVID protocols, who are out and not available to be in the actual physical service. And so... God bless you today, and I hope you grow. You can check us out, a lot of stuff online, churchtoledo.com, including books by Pastor Dan, uh, Daniel Stevenson. Uh, those are on Amazon as well. And um, the opportunity to give there and information about our texting service and just, just a bunch of stuff there. So check out churchtoledo.com if you get a minute, and God bless you today. That something would be open in the spring, and it wasn't open. And I thought, well, that's not fair, because the spring has surely come. And I realized it was probably because of the coronavirus Lord, all creation is groaning, facing the difficulties that arise out of really back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve's sin. And there have been plenty of sins since then. If they hadn't done it, we surely would have. And um, Lord, we're, we're grateful for your creation. And then sometimes people are a little afraid of it. Afraid of what might happen. Afraid of what a virus might do, or afraid of what a lost job might do, or afraid of what will um, happen if they give up their addiction, or and the list just goes on. And so, Lord, we confess humanity's weakness today. I'm confessing mine, of course, but we're confessing the weakness of humans. And we're asking you for strength, and above all, for forgiveness, which you've paid for already and arranged through Jesus, your Son. We come boldly before the throne of grace this morning, asking you to get the attention of humanity in our day. That all humans might take a moment today to reflect upon where they are and what it would take to move to the next step. And I know most of them won't want to add in the name of Jesus. But your creation certainly does it, and your people want to do it, and so we pray that there will be a way to add to that question. How do we reach new heights in Jesus today? Help us, Lord, as we worship you, that our sound might be joyful, that our hearts might be uplifted, that our strength might be renewed, that our wisdom might be expanded as we walk in your faith today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, all right, all right. Before we go into the inspirational moment and talk about how God has been speaking to us this last week, I want to remind you of this verse from Proverbs 24. It says, Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. It's reminding us that uh, wisdom, if you will, or uh, understanding the way God works sometimes entails understanding what's going on around you. You have to see with eyes of faith. Obviously, New Testament calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. Um, and so we at New Heights Fellowship talk about by reading our Bibles, by prayerfully considering the day, paying attention to music that you're listening to, by the relationships that you have with other people, what somebody might say to you. We talk about learning and growing and reaching new heights, not just here on Sunday morning. The truth is, uh, I was going to be plain, if we only reach new heights in Jesus here on Sunday morning, then uh, we are, we're not going to make it. Imagine one day a week, maybe an hour and a half, two hours at the most. Sometimes three if I worked really hard on the sermon, but you know, it's like that. So when you're out there in the streets, you've got to be learning. When you're in your yard, when you're in your house, when you're with your family, when you're with your neighbors, when you're on the job, when you're at school, you have to let God teach you each day. And then we come here and we share those testimonies. That's what the inspirational moment is all about. Say, okay, how have I been learning? What has God been showing me? And sometimes I know and you know that the things that you have seen or learned are only for you. God is literally ministering into your life. He's, he's working on you in particular. And, um, and you don't really want to share it. You're like, oh, I don't want to share that. You know, that's, it's convicting to me. It's difficult. I cried when I read that. I got upset. My heart broke. I realized how I've been or what I've seen. And we don't really want to talk about it. And yet we are called to talk about it during this time. And the purpose for that then is because we, it's steel sharpened steel. The idea is for us to work together. When you see something, you hear something, um, you're supposed to share it because then not only maybe the message could be resonated, resonate with somebody else, but then on top of that, the way you received it or when you received it or what God is saying or a scripture that it led you to or whatever can resonate with somebody else and they can learn and they can grow. So it's a little selfish of you to have experiences like that throughout the week and not bring them and share them because if somebody else has gone seven days without hearing from God, the first time they hear from God might be when you share your inspirational moment. So that's why we do it. Um, I, the pastor is not the, like the golden boy of the church, the only person can hear from God or anything like that. The Sunday school teachers, the leaders, the workers, the preachers, the, the deacon, it's not like that. We, we believe in the priesthood of the believer, which means you answer to Jesus, and Jesus is God. And so he's speaking into your heart all the time, and hopefully, if you're saved, that's true, and then you need to be listening, and you're working, there's a process to decipher what he's saying. Maybe sometime you come here and share something, and you go, you know, I, I know that I saw that, and at that moment I was supposed to be learning and growing from it, but, but um, I, didn't really, I didn't really get it. So what do you think of this? You know, what does that say to you? And then the church would help to determine it, you know, help to figure out what it means. So, so that's where we're at in the inspirational moment time. We've been doing it for many, many years, and God has never failed to speak um, during those times. In fact, they're, you know, they're, it's kind of like this as far as like uh, how much it really kind of powerfully impacts me, but the low part of that is still high. It's still way up there, you know, still an opportunity to grow and learn and to listen to the Lord. So, so what have you seen this last seven days in these crazy times that we're living in? 
Alright, go ahead. I have a song, I'm not going to play it because... Okay, that's cool. Share it with us a little bit, though. Um, I have the lyrics. It's from a band called For the Fallen Dreams. As far as I know, I don't believe it's a Christian band. Okay. I, I haven't really looked into it. an interesting name, For the Fallen Dreams. Yeah, I heard it once on, when I was listening to music at work. It just came on my playlist. But it's a really good song about how you fall, but you can't get back up. Yeah. Righteous man falls seven times to get back up. Yep. Um, seven times. Says, it starts, it says, with each breath, with each step, I fall a little farther from the plans that I have laid. With each breath, with each step I have fallen, I have, I feel a little smaller in the bed that I have made. People will hate you, shake you, break you, standing firm will make you unstoppable. When we stumble, when we fall, when there's nothing left at all, we get up, we get up again. And then it repeats that. And then one of the verses, the first verse is, and I know how much I can take, and I know how much my bends, my bones bend and crack before they break. How long the night lasts before the day. How far I need to walk around the world before I start back again. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and what won't, and you won't fear death any longer. You, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and you won't fear death any longer. And then it says again, people will hate you, shake you, break you, but standing firm will make you unstoppable. So, no matter what people do to you, and no matter how many times you fall, and no matter how many times you think you're broke, you need to get back up again. Amen. And one of the things that I was thinking about after I heard that song is that's what God does with us. He gives us that ability to stand back up and make us unstoppable. Amen. And I just thought it was amazing because, especially with everything going on right now in the world, it, people need to understand that we can handle a lot more than what we think. That's right. I mean, for parents, just think about if someone's jeopardizing the safety of your children, how far would you go to make sure that that wouldn't happen? So it's like we we say that oh we can't handle it or we can't take it and it's like you gotta come to the realization that our bodies can handle a lot more abuse than what we think we can. So we just need to get up and like it like the song said what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, it's a good word. Um, you know what it's occurred to me as you're speaking so many songs that I can think of that are clearly written by secular artists and yet within the song, in a single lyric or uh, in a, something in the song, you can very clearly hear a message from God. And they maybe are wrestling with the message. You know, like they're, they're, they might not even be, like they, they might state the message more as a question or more as a debate within themselves or something like that. Or they just, it's just a lyric and it just sounded good in that place. You don't really know what they're kind of getting at. But it's amazing how... Um, the, the secular music God can really use it. And I think that's because all creation testifies. What do you think, Brother Tim? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think when people set about I might be I'm not a musician. I'm not a musical artist. I do like to write poetry. I don't know if I'm good at it. I doubt I'm good at it, but uh, but I do like to do that. I think when people set about to convey things that are not so much physical in nature, but spiritual, emotional, and psychological, and that's what poetry, music, and like that does. 
I think in a way you just sort of automatically reach into that unseen realm where God really is in control or he really does defeat the enemy. And sometimes people reach to dark places and they summon up things that they don't want anything to do with that they don't realize it. Um, but, at the same, but at the same time, I think they're, they're because of, they're trying to speak in a level that's emotional, psychological, and spiritual, God is there sometimes. And so sometimes like right sometimes in the middle of a dark song, it almost like you go, man, I don't want my kids to ever hear that song. And then right in the middle of it will be a lyric that that just proclaims God. You know? And you know that artist was I mean it sounds good there. That's the main reason they left it there or whatever. The artist was like, Oh no, I don't know about that. I don't know if I really like what that says, but they just you know, and then it becomes a popular song and then there's God's message right in the middle of the darkness. It's pretty neat how that how God does that. And we like music, even though I'm not good at music. We like music. Who else has a word? Mike. Um, Tuesday, me and Tyler just got home from one life station, and uh, my mom would come over and I said, well, basically, uh, I'm going to send, uh, I'm standing outside the truck facing my house. And I told Tyler to go run the, run the garage and get a shovel. And I'm, so I'm on the passenger side of the truck. Talking to my mom facing the house, and Tyler goes to go behind the truck to go across the street. And then, uh, I just, me and mom was talking, and it's like a real loud voice inside me said, Turn around now. Huh. And I turned just like that, and Tyler was at the tail end, and there was a car right here. Wow. And then the car just came around the alley, and it was moving, and uh, had, hey, I didn't turn around or had. I know that God talking to him, wait and turn around, and goes into what's been talked about here. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I turned around, I turned, and as soon as I seen I yelled, I yelled at him, Tyler froze, and his car, he kept it, he kept it, just kept going. And uh, I know had God not intervened, I, I don't think my son would be here right now. Amen. And uh, just goes to show, maybe you're struggling, no matter what's going on, you don't think that God's not doing nothing, you're wrong. Amen. He's yep. alive, strong, and he's working today. Yep. Man. Woo! Thank you, God, for saving time. <laughs> Thank you. Praise the Lord. Wow. Anybody else? Brother Tony Heath. Well, I got nothing to say after that. Praise God. That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> when God is, you know, they say, you never know when, he, when, he, when he's on time, he's on time. He's Amen. Time. Oh, just two days. I thought I would share something with the kids because I just feel like uh, I tell my son, yeah, my, we play this game, we play superheroes, and he could be Spider-Man and Hulk, and I, I call myself Super Dad, bad guy, whatever. I, they can't beat me. But then I say, you know, who are you going to be this time? You know, say, I'm Nehemiah. I'm like, oh, no, Nehemiah's real, and he's fearfully, wonderfully made. And then, like, I can't take him on because he's real. These superheroes, all these things that we come up with, you know, all this energy we have. I tell my son all the time, you know, the, you know, the creator of the universe created the sun, the stars, the sky, a beautiful day today. You know, even the snow that's cold, but and he, it harvests the ground, all that stuff, all that beautiful stuff. He gave you all this energy. It's a gift, kids. And, he, and I tell my son, you use the energy to obey. You can use the energy to worship. You can focus that energy to use it. You don't have to just go all over the place. It, you know, you actually, and you're, you're important now. Your age is important. God actually sees you right now and says, you're important to me. Focus. I tell my son, focus on God. Focus on God. Put your focus on Him. You know, if he does it, if he does it, it's still there. And so, kids, just want to remind you guys: you guys can focus. You guys can do the things. 
you say you can't, my son always tells me the bad things he does. He's like, I, I went with my son, with my brother. I said, yes, but do you remember when you did this good thing? And then he said, I, I said, come up and tell me something good you did today. And so we do good things as well. You know, remind yourself, you guys, you, you guys can do the, the good things that God tells you to do. And second thing um, was, uh, it was an awesome day yesterday. Out, we were going out, well, if I was about witnessing, it, it did, but it, it just... A bunch of different people. Some were uh, proclaiming Jesus on the microphone, which I got there for a second. And some were serving hot dogs. And we had a tent out over uh, the line of Judah's. There's uh, bear mattress and furniture on the other side. And uh, just watching everybody working together was really cool. We only got like four people to come, you know, with the C virus. But no matter what, like, it was cool. These, these, this one guy we got to witness to, he had his kids because, of course, he needed a hot dog. And, and um, but my brothers, I met two of them and I got their numbers. But you could tell that they needed someone to talk to. You could tell like you were pouring into them as if they didn't have anything. You know, you never, and, and like you were talking about, it could be seven days and you hear nothing, but the thing is, if you'll never know if you don't try. You could tell if someone, you know, is filled, but you can't You can't look at them and say, oh yeah, they're empty. Everybody looks, they smiles on their faces, they go on their own day, but you could tell at that moment that they needed to be filled. And um, I just want to praise God for that. And this is all I wanted to share was in a, uh, Revelation chapter 5 and it's just an awesome thing I you know for me my gift is encouragement so I think you know because God you know in this life I'm very discouraged not by me but just the circumstances myself so encouragement is my gift this is how God restores the, all the discouragement I feel for my life is encouraging me and encouraging others but in Revelation 5 12 it says in a loud voice they saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Years ago, I remember saying that, and I'll be really quick. I just said, Lord, that's everything. No one's going to have anything. Everything is going back to you. And I know for me as an insecure person, and I just feel like I'd share my weakness for a second, I'm so busy looking at this person, and this person, and focusing on this person. They got this, and they got that, and why can't I have this, and why can't I have that? When I have to realize it's all going back, the one thing I need to focus on is me, you know, and, and myself, you know, and what I have, and what God has offered to me, you know, and then reach out. But what I'm saying is, is I think sometimes, you know, and that's why the Bible talks about coventry, is like, you know, you're like, you're so focused on others, you know, that you lose the focus on what God has for you. And so I'm just asking, you know, for anybody here today to keep your focus on God as well as my brother did. And, you know, thank God Tyler's here today. And thank God for being God. That's just amazing. Amen. I mean, nothing else to say from that. I'm going to share that with someone. Thank you for that, Michael. But that's awesome. But uh, um, just want to say, you know, is like keep your focus on God and also keep your focus on yourself because. The moment you just start looking at all this other stuff, it's all going back. It's They're not going to, I don't care how rich, how wealthy they are, it's not theirs. The gifts, the talents, the, the athleticism, whatever it is, it's it's not theirs. It's all from God. Amen. Look at your gifts and not their gifts. Because I'll tell you what, the reason that they're doing that as good is because they're focusing on their gifts. Focus on your gifts and see what God can do. Focus Amen. on your gifts. Amen. Good work. All right. Brother Tony Brister, would you pray for us at this time and as we transition? The Father, we do thank you for another day to give us thanks for this time we come to sharing about how you work in your lives. Lord, uh, 
Thank you for your protection. Uh, myself, over the years, and all of us can testify to that, you're, the things you do to protect us, and, and even at this time with the coronavirus, uh, the protection you've given a lot of us, and you don't understand why some people get and some people, whatever, but Lord, you promised to protect us, and you're, you're seeing us through just like you did with Pilate. And uh, thank you for your word, thank you for the experiences we have that we can tell others. And uh, just ask you, Lord, to be with us this day, be with the pastor to bring the message, be with the children as they go to their lesson time, Lord, just Lord, uh, thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray.
been impressed with those uh, people who act decisively and intuitively. They really kind of understand what's going on and they jump right in and they fix it, they solve it, they know it, they see details that nobody else does. I like the, the old uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote about a fictional character named Sherlock Holmes that he's so incredible and so intense that a lot of people started thinking he was a real guy all over the world. In fact, it, if you pulled the room before I just said he was a fictional character, probably half the people in the room might have thought he wasn't fictional because he was so intuitive and so decisive and people really got leapt into his stories and they've remade the stories over and over and over again and the movies over and over again. And there's an early scene in the, when he meets Dr. Watson for the first time and that scene has been reproduced in a variety of movies and a variety of books and things like that that they've written about this character. And uh, they don't meet before this scene. There is no conversation or anything like that before them. And Dr. Watson says, we don't know a thing about each other. I don't know where we're meeting. I don't even know your name. And Sherlock Holmes says back, I know you're an army doctor and you've been invalided home from Afghanistan. I know you've got a brother who's worried about you, but you won't go to him for help because you don't approve of him, possibly because he's an alcoholic, more likely because he recently walked out on his wife, and I know your therapist thinks your limp is psychosomatic, quite correctly, I'm afraid. That's enough to be going on with, don't you think? The name is Sherlock Holmes, and the address is 221B Baker Street. Now, later in the story, he explains how he observed the, the character of Dr. Watts. He saw what he looked like, he saw the way he walked, he saw the 
way he held himself and some things about his clothing and like that. And that's how he was able to deduce all of that. I love that thought that there are people in the world who walk around, they see something and they just inherently, intuitively know what it is and know what to do with it. It charms me. We're going to do a little object lesson before we jump into the text today. I have created, and don't, you can laugh if you want, but I have created Lego Adam. The truth is, Lego Adam looked a little bit differently, and then I put him in my pocket, and Lego Adam broke all apart, and then we attempted to reconstruct him, and this is what Lego Adam looks like now. Okay? So this is Lego Adam. And I need a few, a few volunteers, and I've got quite a few pieces of paper, so we could have a... We could have, like, almost everybody do it today if you want to. Uh, but I need a volunteer and to make this piece of paper without scissors or ink or paint or anything like that to make it into a bush that will stand up on its own. It doesn't have to look like a bush, really. I mean, but it needs to stand up on its own. And then because it's green, we'll just call it a bush. Okay? So who would like to give it a try? All right. Brother Ron, give it a try. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for that. Who else? We've got plenty of pieces of paper. Make a bush. Please do. We're going to make a little forest of bushes. Thank you so much. Okay. Anybody else? Are we good? Alright. So we're going to make a little forest. You make a little forest of bushes. When your bush is done, you can come up and put it in front of Adam here to block the view uh, and just kind of make a little bush forest there in front of him. Now while you're folding, don't fold too loudly because because we're going to read the Bible too, all right? So for those of you who are not folding bushes, and even those of you who are, you can participate in this way and get a little excited with me. Give me an amen or a hoot and a holler as we go to 1 Kings chapter 3. What? This is God's Word. And actually, it's a fairly classic story from God's Word, 1 Kings chapter 3. This portion, the verse begins in verse 16. And I'm going to read it in a moment. But let me preface it by saying right before this, King Solomon has become King Solomon. Solomon got the king in him, right? He got the king before his name. And not only that, but he has uh, sacrificed to God. And there's kind of a unique way that this happens. He goes up the high place and he sacrifices a thousand sacrifices, the word says. And it may be a literal thousand, but it's a lot to God and honoring God, even though they don't have the temple built yet. And they go up in the high places and he sacrificed, sacrificed, and finally... Uh, God says to him, you know, I see basically uh, what you're doing there. I've, I've noticed you, and uh, so make any requests of me. And, he, and, and Solomon requests wisdom. He says, give me wisdom to rule your people. And I'm really shortening this down, obviously. And uh, he said, you, you honored my father. You made me king in his, in his stead. You made these promises to him, and you always blessed him. And now, uh, you know, as you've given me all these people to rule, would you please give me wisdom to rule your people? You've got to put it right over here in front of Adam. Adam's hiding in the bushes today. That's, the, that's that part of the object lesson. Very good. Thank you so much. And we'll mound them up or whatever once people get their bushes in place. All right. So I'm going to read now. After Solomon has received the wisdom from God, we get this story. Now, I know that you know the story a little bit, probably, if you're into the word, even, um, even a margin. And the truth is, even people who don't know God, don't know Jesus and, uh, at all, some of them know this story a little bit. But beware, there are two things. One is just in the observation of the story. As I just read it, I saw something that I had never seen before. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that uh, if you may never have seen it before. So that will be interesting in and of itself. And then on top of that, um, there was a, 
a process or an interpretation that came out of it, something that God really wanted me to see and I think really wanted me to share today. And so this is good stuff. Don't uh, dull your wits at all because you're hearing a story that you've ever heard before. Rather, indulge that much more into the story and really grow from it because it's really powerful stuff, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in 16, and Solomon is in his court, and it says, Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. Notice that they come into the king. Now, they may have been sent there because there was conflict in the community. We don't know what right before this doesn't tell us what had happened exactly that got them there. But two women who were prostitutes, they were selling their bodies, they were sleeping around, they were having children outside of wedlock, whatever you want to say, they were harlots, young, not innocent women, and they come and stand before the king. Now, that's, that's problematic in and of itself, as you can imagine, right? Uh, because they don't feel worthy to be there necessarily, or, or if they do, then they have another problem. All right. So verse 17 says, And the one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. All right. So she starts laying out the story for Solomon. She says, O oh my Lord, I was in the house. I had, I had a baby. And she was living in the house at the same time. All right. And then it says, and it happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. So she set the scene where there's no witnesses. There's no one that can contradict either one of our stories. No midwife came in, gave birth to the child, to identify a child. None, none of that has happened, right? So she's taken away all of the normal ways of resolving any conflict that might have happened between her and the other woman. And she's now said that they both bore a child, one only three days after the other. Now, for any of you who have held a newborn baby, um, the day of maybe, you, you know, there might be a lot of similarities three days later cleaned up, you know, they start to have some distinct differences in the way they look. But again, there's nobody to discern the difference between the two children. She's, they've blocked all that kind of deductive reasoning out. All right? Only the two of them were in the house. Verse 19, and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. Now, I know that sounds absolutely terrible, um, like she just you know, rolled over and accidentally killed her son and as sad as that is, that is an actual thing that does happen. That used to happen a lot more back in the day. And even in our day, today, uh, is in, in 2020, in certain countries of the world, infant death is a very high ratio. And believe it or not, one of the major causes is this right here. This is happening as we live and breathe in countries across the world. In fact, there is a huge, huge missionary effort to provide uh, bassinets or small cribs or, and I know this will sound weird, but padded boxes, padded boxes for women to put their babies in so they won't have their babies sleep in their beds because that kind of infant mortality is so prevalent in certain Eastern world countries. And it's very common. So this is what happened. The, uh, one of the women, not the one that's talking, according to her story, the one that's talking says, this woman's child died in the night because she lay on it. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. So she is alleging that while she was sleeping with her child next to her, the other woman who slept on her child in the middle of the night and killed her, killed her child, I should say, brought her dead child and swapped them. That's what she's alleging. 
Now, a couple of things. Notice that if she was sleeping, she didn't actually see this event take place. She is surmising, she's deducing that this is what has happened because she, as we're about to see, she recognizes that the baby, she allegedly recognizes that the baby that she has is not her baby. Okay? Verse 21. It says, and when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, so she's going to give him uh, his morning feeding, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. So she realized, no, see, actually, this was not my actual baby. Um, it, I realized that she had swapped the baby. So she must have slept on her son in the middle of the night. She must have come in my room in the middle of the night. She must have taken my baby and put her baby in his stead. So she's alleging all of this based on deduction because she was asleep at the time, but also based on the fact that she says she can identify her own baby. Right? So the mothers in the room are going, well, yeah, I think I, I, a pretty good likelihood, three, you know, this is not three days after, this is sometime after, uh, but they were born very close together, but a pretty good likelihood I can recognize my baby three months, four months, six months, somebody swapped them out with a baby, I think I would get it. So, you know, her, in that sense, her story seems to make sense that she could recognize her baby, except there are no witnesses, there's nobody to clarify, there's no evidence, nothing, right? It's one woman's word against the other, verse 22. Then the other woman said, no! Exclamation point. <laughs> no! For the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. So she exactly contradicts her. But the first woman said, no! For the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. And thus they spoke before the king. So standing before this king, arguing about whose son is the dead son and whose son is the live son. There are no witnesses. There is no evidence. They're standing before the king, arguing back and forth. Verse 23. Then the king said, the one says, he's listening to the arguments, the one says, this is my son who is living, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Okay, so he's, I think he's pretty correctly deduced the problem, right? And there's no witnesses to be called, no evidence, there's nothing. And the king said, get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one, and half to the other. That's a pretty gruesome solution. Now, if it's a piece of property or a loaf of bread, or a pouch of money, it's a pretty appropriate solution. It solves the problem. There are no witnesses. Legally, that's pretty much what you do, right? But this is a baby. Babies don't function well after being divided in two. They don't grow up when you do that. So this is a pretty gruesome solution. 26. Then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king. For she was deeply stirred over her son and said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. So she agrees with the king's verdict. The king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now, I told you there was one thing in there that I had never quite noticed before. 
So I've read the story before. I've even heard it taught before. And there's that phrase in there where he says, give the first woman the living child, right? And so it's where when she speaks up and says, no, 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 give her the child. Don't divide the child in two. Give her the child. And the other woman says, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. The first one of those is the one who gets the child, right? Which one is that? Is it the woman who first said, I was asleep in the house and she came and she took my baby and put the dead one by my side? Or is it the woman who said, no, for the dead one is your son and the living one is mine? We don't know. It doesn't clarify, right? So I always read the story thinking, well, that lady who made the complaint, she's justified because Solomon figured out, well, clearly she is telling the truth because she wouldn't have the baby killed. Right? But actually, the story does not clarify which of the women. Was it the woman who essentially spoke up first? Maybe she has a little more dominant personality. Whatever she told the story. Or was it the woman who said, no! And what would you say if, if somebody came in and said, your child was not your child? Would you, would you just stand by and do nothing? Or would you say, no, you're lying! You know, that's exactly the response you'd expect her to have. If she was actually telling the truth and it was her child that had been stolen, it's exactly that. So you don't know which one. We don't know. This is the beauty of it. Solomon is able to decide who is the mother of the child by one moment in time alone. Now, the fact is, and it's possible, albeit a very small likelihood, especially because he has the wisdom of God, it's possible that the woman who did not give birth to the child wound up the mother of the child. By king's authority, he says, you shall be the child's mother. Now she's his mother. That could have, we might have just witnessed an adoption. The point is, if that was an adoption, the lady who said, no, divide him, she didn't deserve him anyway. Right? So this is one of those moment in time, moments in time where that, that intuitive wisdom, that amazing quick wit and authority solves the dilemma that is faced. I'm blown away. I love it. I... I want it. Don't you want it? Isn't that cool to be able to do that? Well, there's a few things in the text that come out right away, and they're really not about who was the mother, right? The first thing is, and, they, and the people of Israel, let me read that last verse again. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And before I go into this first point, I'd like to point out, it was the wisdom of who? The wisdom of God, right? So Solomon, remember last week we talked about how David was a man after God's own heart, and if you want to entreat, if you want to entreat God to act when he doesn't seem to be acting, you would entreat God to act the same way David, the same way you would entreat David to act because David was a man after God's own heart, so he's going to be motivated by the same things, think the same way, act the same way, things like that. Well, today we get to see Solomon acting in wisdom that is actually God's wisdom. And so we can learn something about God's wisdom because we see him acting in something that is, is, it actually is God's wisdom, not his wisdom. And the first thing that they extrapolate or that they interpret from this event is you don't cross the king. Don't cross the king. You will get what you deserve. He is capable of administering justice. In fact, they see that he, when, when you look at that word administer, it means that a person is able to manage and be responsible for something. 
That's the first kind of definition of the word administer. They're able to manage it, which means they can deal it out. They know when to apply it. They know exactly how it works. They can control it. They're able to manage it. Manage it. And they're able to be responsible for it. So they can ensure that it continues. They can ensure that it's protected. They can ensure that it's displayed. They're able to manage it and be responsible for it. But also, they're able to dispense it. So they can pass it out where it's due. And they're able to apply it to a situation where it seems like nobody else would have an answer. Who's going to have an answer for that? But he's got an answer. God's always got an answer because he is able to manage and be responsible for and dispense and apply justice. God's wisdom is like this. Don't cross the king. God bestowed this ability on Solomon and definitely has this ability himself. Now, if we know this is true, and on our right minds, in our reasonable minds, we do know this is true, because God is not mocked, we will reap what we sow. We know that this is true. Then why do we continue to hide our evil actions and pretend that they're not bad or make excuses for them? Why do people do that? It seems to be a fairly common thing. Firstly, the first reason why that's true is because wisdom is not born in a vacuum. It's not born without other influences, without other things going on. Wisdom is never the only thing going on. Craftiness, which I would call trickery or being being decisive but in a way that manipulates, craftiness is a shadow of wisdom that all the world seems to value. You see, Sherlock Holmes wasn't wise. He was I read an article about him that said he, he didn't know everything. People said, well, how did Sherlock Holmes know everything? That was the question. So Sherlock Holmes didn't know everything. He just knew what he needed to know to make the decision that he had to make at the time. It's the difference between wisdom and craftiness. Solomon looks crafty to the people, sure, but they take it beyond that. There's something more here. This is the wisdom of God. He is able to administer justice. He's able to do what's right. Don't cross the king. You will get what you deserve. Secondly, in this text, I think we need to see tricks won't work. That's what's going on here, right? In the Garden of Eden, Adam hid in the bushes after he sinned. God turned down every one of David's older brothers because he judges men by their hearts, not by what they look like. Jesus knew the crowd around him was thinking evil of him concerning the paralyzed man, so he demonstrated his power by telling the man to get up and walk and also told him his sins were forgiven. Tricks won't work. We could try to conceal. We can try. You might even fool yourself. You might even talk yourself into believing that you're too busy to do what it is that God is calling you to do. You might talk yourself into believing, I need this. I I, I don't know how I could not do this. There's no way I can live if I don't do this. You might even talk yourself into believing that God allows us to do that. 
and say, well, he made me this way, or he has allowed it for five years or ten years, or he's never struck me down, he's never ruined my life, I've always gotten by with this. You can fool yourself. But hear me now, the very reason that you might be able to fool yourself is actually a lack of the wisdom that we're talking about. You can fool yourself. You might fool your opposition, those who are against you. That is, if they don't already know the truth. You might place a very strong argument. For example, uh, someone comes to you and says, hey, will you come and serve in this way? And you say, well, I can't because I have X going on. And they go, oh, yeah, I must say a pretty good reason. Sounds good, right? And the New Testament talks about the men who were called to the wedding feast. And some, one guy had to go check out his oxen. One guy had a new wife and couldn't leave her so soon. One, one guy bought a piece of property. You know what happened to all those guys, right? They were cast out into the outer darkness where there's much weeping and gnashing of teeth. And they weren't weeping and gnashing of teeth because they were, were rich and were able to buy ox, oxen, land, or get married. They were weeping and gnashing of teeth because when the invitation came, all they had to do was go and accept it. And instead, they were busy doing other things. They had other priorities. They had made excuses. Those excuses, they're not going to fly. You might fool your opposition if they don't already know the truth. You might baffle the audience. All the people that were standing in the throne room that day, they're going, whoa, this is going to be tough. No witnesses. I don't know. They're both, I, I believe them both, you know? So I believe they're both the, how can that, that can't be right. They both look like they're telling the truth. You might baffle your audiences with a number of logical excuses, but there's no firm reality in it. You might twist the truth. You might highlight one piece over another. How often you read a news article and somebody gives a speech that's 10 minutes long and then somebody else comes out and writes an article that's three pages long about one sentence in the speech and they're highlighting that one thing and the person may even have misspoke or miswrote in the speech but now they're being tagged as somebody who believes or teaches or stands up for that one thing, that one sentence out of a 10-minute speech. You might baffle the audience by twisting or highlighting one piece or overwhelming them with, with, with information. But wise humans, the kind of humans that we're talking about, and of course God, will see through your efforts. Tricks won't work. Don't cross the king. Yet wisdom is not born in a vacuum. Wisdom is not born in a vacuum. What's actually happening here is a tragedy. It's these women's response to a tragedy. One of them is responding to the tragedy of having ruled over on her baby in the middle of the night and killed it. If that's what actually happened. Somehow her baby died. The other one is responding to the tragedy of her baby having been stolen from her. They're responding to tragedy. But responding to tragedy is no excuse for vile behavior. And, and vile behavior is never an excuse for a tragic response. A baby died, a woman lied, but love knows better. And the mother that is willing to say, no, no, don't cut the baby in two. Give it to her, it's okay. I withdraw my plea. That woman demonstrates that out of tragedy, out of a horrible 
situation does not have to come a horrible outcome. Wisdom knows better. There are plenty of motivations for wanting to hide in a bush like Adam did, for wanting to use excuses to cover up what we've done. But there are no bushes. Tricks won't work. Don't cross the king. Adam sinned against God. And the Bible says he was ashamed. And then because he was ashamed, he hid in the bushes. He even made some vegetative clothing for him and his wife because he was ashamed. And then God came into the garden and exposed it all. In God's kingdom, there are no bushes. Don't cross the king. There's tragedy, tragic behavior, sure. But there are no bushes. Tricks won't work. Don't cross the king. Your tragedy is no excuse. You say, but God, I'm suffering so bad. I have a need. I'm hurting. I'm aching. I want. Join the club. Every human being is subject to the lust of the flesh. To the lust of the eyes. To the pride of life. We all see and want and cannot have. I'd love to have a Lamborghini or a DeLorean or a motorcycle. A 20-year-old motorcycle. I don't care. I would love to have lots of things. But you can't covet. You can't be desirous of what you don't have. But then that's what we do is we want. And so then we take. And then once we take, in whatever fashion we take it to kind of placate our thoughts that we need, then we become ashamed. And we try to find us a bush, a trick. There are no bushes. Tricks won't work. Don't cross the king. Wisdom is decisive. That's clear, right? Wisdom takes risks when appropriate. Wisdom does what's right despite the cost. Now this looks suspiciously like love, charity, and generosity. The Bible says, test the spirits. For not every spirit is the spirit of God. Have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, from Philippians 2. A doubting man is a double-minded man and shouldn't think he has anything at all. See, wisdom is decisive and intentional. It takes risks when appropriate and does the right thing. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is walking the shoreline and he runs into Simon who's called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and they're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Wisdom is decisive. We look at that and we go, that's crazy. Surely they plotted that out. You know, like a few days earlier, Jesus came by, and he said, hey, it's, it's going to be like this, you know what I'm saying? And, and, they, and they said, I don't know, We're going to give us a few days to think about it, we'll pray about it, come back in a few days, and we'll see if we can follow you. No, none of that ever happened. Jesus came and said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's not to say that maybe they hadn't heard a rumor, but the truth is it's very early in his public ministry. There probably weren't many rumors to hear. And they walked away from in order to walk toward. Wisdom 
is decisive, it takes risks when appropriate, and does what's right despite the cost. I'm asking you today, if you have never done so, repent now and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Because you and I can see that wisdom is decisive and when you figure out what you're supposed to do, you just do it. And when you do it, it works. That's what wisdom is. And maybe you pray a prayer as simple as, God, here I am. I feel like I sure have made a mess of my life. I'm asking you to forgive me through Jesus, your son, and lead me the rest of my days. Please be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you've never prayed a prayer like that or, or something more long and elaborate or something simpler even and said, just said, God, here I am. Take me for the rest of my days. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ in earnest and been born again, do that. Because why? Because it's the wise thing. There are no bushes. There's no tricks. Don't cross the king. You will eventually stand in front of him and answer for your actions. Now, assuming that you've done that before today or even in the last, like, 90 seconds, because somebody might be here and said, ah, I, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever, but, uh, but now you realize, like, I really never have put my hand in the hand of the man. I really never have turned my life over to Jesus. I really never have let him be completely Lord day in and day out. And you're willing today and you're repenting today and you're saying, okay, Lord Jesus, make me new today. Either way, whether you've done it a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or right now, assuming you've done that before today or today, you need to understand that there's something else going on here. Modesty. You know what modesty is? Example of modesty might be not walking around naked in front of other people or in sultry clothing in front of members of the opposite sex or vainly talking about yourself and how good you are is not modesty. Modesty born out of shame is the shadow of humility. Let me say that again. Modesty born out of shame is the shadow of humility. Let me show you modesty born out of shame. That's modesty born out of shame. After he sinned against God, he said, I'm going to go hide myself in the bushes. It's modesty born out of shame. It is the shadow of humility, which was the nature of the relationship that he should have had with God. Humility is modesty born out of righteousness or rightness and gratitude. You realize, I can't do it on my own. I'm depending on the one who can do it in me. Yes, I've screwed up, but by God's grace. Look at the Psalms that David wrote. How often does he say, I'm a righteous man, I have lived rightly before you, and so on. Did David live his whole life rightly before God? Was he not a murderer? Was he not an adulterer? Did he not lust? Yes. He was all of those things. So how could he write in his psalms to God, I am a right man before you? Because was he also a liar? Is that why? No. It's because he has discovered what we as, Christian, as Christians and Christianity are supposed to have discovered. And that is that there is a modesty born out of rightness and gratitude. 
It's called humility. Not the shadow of that, which is modesty born out of shame. We were created to represent God, inherently with the ability to create and destroy. Faced with sowing in tears, rather than standing in the light and dealing with the consequences of sin, we want to use our powers for what we perceive as the greatest good, which is mitigating our suffering. Did you get that combination? It's pretty tricky there. So we're going to go, God wants us to go and work on his behalf, and it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. There may be blood. There will certainly be tears. Faced with the opportunity to go and serve God with tears, instead we want to take the power that God has bestowed in us, which is our power to create and destroy, nothing less than that. We were created to be in his image, to represent him, our power to create and destroy. And we're going to take the power to create and destroy and use it rather than for that, rather than to work for his glory with suffering and tears, we're going to use it to mitigate our suffering, to deal with our problems, to make our situation better. Rather than giving food to buy, or money to buy food for those who have nothing, we're going to stock up money in our savings account so for a rainy day, we're good and covered. Rather than working to pro- provide for our neighbors so that they will have a reason to look to Jesus Christ and glorify Him when He comes or to ask us why we're doing rather than doing that, we're going to work some extra overtime so we can make some more money so we can be better off financially and maybe get us a boat, you know? Because after all, we are God's people and we're supposed to be blessed. Faced with the prospect of sowing in tears, we instead want to work to mitigate what's causing those tears. So we create a shadow, modesty, born out of shame. I know I, know I should be doing more. I'm just an ordinary guy. You know, it's not like I'm Jesus. Not like I'm God. So I'm just an ordinary guy. I, I, you know, I have to protect myself. I have to protect my family. I can't take any undue risks. You know, I got to make sure everything's under control because I have a responsibility. God makes me responsible for my family. So I cannot risk my wife and my children even to do God's work because he may be responsible for my family and so on. We create bushes for ourselves. We try to trick. But wait, there are no bushes. Tricks won't work. Don't cross the king. This shadow, modesty born out of shame, is the alternative to humbly accepting God's good gifts and persevering in humility. We have some various people in the room. I'm going to ask you, all right, so tell me, in football, think about football for a second, get that in your head. In football, what does it mean to overcome the offensive line? Push past them. Okay, push pass, that's one. What else? Come on, what does it mean to overcome the offensive line in football? To overbear them. Okay, good. All right, let's flip it around. What does it mean to overcome the defensive line in football? Hold them back. Yes, on a passing play, hold them back, right? Or push them in the wrong direction. What if it's a running play? Drive them forward. Or open up a hole. Right? We know what it means to overcome when it comes to football. Either one. All right? How about in swimming? What does it mean to overcome the waves? 
you're swimming in the ocean, suddenly it's very windy, or you got your boat sank, and you're in the ocean, and you're swimming. What does it mean to overcome the waves? Push through the waves. That's probably all you can do, right? Or you might ride to the top and sink and dop again, right? But you don't drown. <laughs> Not if you've overcome the waves. Yeah. You could go under if it's crashing down. Yeah. So you're to get past them, right? We understand. It means to overcome, to survive and get past them. How about in a military sense, what does it mean to overcome the previous government? We had a rebellion in our country a couple hundred years ago. Happens in less stable countries on a fairly regular basis. What does it mean to overcome the previous government? To overthrow them. Take away their power. Maybe kill them. If you're talking about a violent coup, right? In the stock market. What does it mean to overcome in the stock market? Not, most of us don't trade in the stock market. What does it mean to overcome in the stock market? Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. That's a perfect example of what it means in the, in the stock market, right? Okay, now flip in your Bibles to Revelation 3. It's not the last text, but it's the last flip. Revelation 3. You, some of this you've heard before. I hope. If not, I encourage you to read it all and study it. And we're going to go by fairly quickly. Because we're going to see something. All right, so there are churches in Revelation 3. And Jesus, essentially, for just simplify matters, Jesus is talking to the churches. Uh, and he takes them each kind of separately. All right, so here's the first one. Chapter 3. The church in Sardis. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive. But you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. And I have not found our deed, your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know it what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes, hear it, he who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, which tells us two things. One, that this was written to them, it was written to all of them, but it's also written to us as a church. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Go on to let's go to Laodicea. We'll skip and we'll come back to Philadelphia in a minute. So verse 14. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lurkwarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. See, they had, they had tricked themselves. 
I advise you to buy from me good, good, I'm sorry, gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. By zealous, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. 21, here we go. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes. And then back to Philadelphia. He who is holy, who is true, who has the King of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. You know what I hear when I read that today in this particular context? You know what I, I hear, there are no bushes, tricks won't work, don't cross God, because he is the one who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. And he says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell upon the earth. That is one of the most beautiful promises. Not the most beautiful, but one of the most beautiful promises in Scripture right there, by the way. 11. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Not talking about your money or your house or your time. He's talking about your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Say it again. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Hebrews it says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help him in time, to help in time of need. So you screwed up. There are no bushes, there are no tricks. Don't cross God. But you screwed up out of your environment, out of your sorrow, out of your stupidity, because you were busy. You were distracted. You were tempted. Suddenly you didn't do what was right. Don't then re revert to using your God-given abilities and talents to try to make yourself feel better about what you did. Rather, repent and turn to God. Come boldly before the throne of grace and say, God, I'm sorry. I screwed up. Repent. Turn from sin. And say, I don't want to do that again, God. I want to serve you, God. You are my Lord. No one and nothing else is my Lord. But faced with the prospect of sowing in tears, we instead want to use the power and the ability that God has given us. We'll even say, well, you know, God still lets me do X, so I must be okay. Even though I know I'm walking in X and covering it up with lies and trickery, craftiness, not wisdom, not humility, but modesty born out of shame. I'm covering that up, and I, I think God will still bless me. God is, God is still blessing me. 
guess what? God is still blessing everybody in the world, without exception. Don't point to your blessings and go, oh, well, yeah, I'm ashamed of what I do, what I am, but I'm not going to fix it because God is still blessing me. I must actually be okay. You are not okay if that's the case. There are no bushes. There are no tricks. Don't cross the king. And as soon as you realize you have, instead of trying to make yourself feel better about it or find a bush to hide in, Instead of being tricky about it so that people who actually would love you enough to say, please don't do that, don't know anything about what you're doing. Instead of doing that, come out into the light where it's as embarrassing as all get out. Where shame would melt you into a pile of mush on the floor. And there, you will not find your sin. There, you will be set free from your sin. Let us do what we are supposed to do. Let us be who we are supposed to be in Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's the second part of that, he who goes out in tears, sowing, by the way, comes back reaping a great harvest. Don't be afraid to serve to the point of your suffering, to give to the point of your suffering, because when you serve and give to the point of your suffering, you guarantee coming back with an incredible harvest. You cannot outgive God, you cannot outserve God, and you cannot outthink God. And yet, Christians and non Christians alike, the world over, are trying to do so. Non Christians are doing it out of modesty based in shame. They'll say, I'm basically a good person, I think I'll make it in. I've done more good than bad. I don't know if anybody makes it in. They believe their own lie. There is no God. I won't have to worry about it. People just die and go be dust and get eaten by worms. That's all that happens. But in their hearts, they really may not believe it. And their audience may not even believe it. I don't believe it. And I've been told it by bunches of people over the years. There are no bushes. There are no tricks. Don't cross God. And if you have crossed God as a Christian, then come boldly before the throne of grace and do what you're supposed to do. Because we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Psalm 30 and 5 says this, For his anger is fleeting. I was dealing with one of my young children. And they came to me and they said, Dad, i got to tell you something. I did this feel terrible about it. I'm really sorry. I know you told me don't ever do that. I did it. I punished them. And I loved them. Maybe I loved them more after I told them, after they told me about the mistake they had made. I shouldn't. But maybe I did. Or at least I experienced my love more abundantly. There are no bushes. There are no tricks. Don't cross God. And having crossed God, the only thing left to do is come back and repent. There is only the forgiveness of God and no forgiveness at all. There are no other alternatives. His anger is fleeting, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. 
Psalm 126, he who goes out weeping, bearing a trail of seed, will surely return with shouts of joy, carrying sheaves of grain. Isaiah 35 and 10, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Isaiah 61, instead of shame, my people will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will, have, they will rejoice in their share, and so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. There are no bushes. Tricks won't work. Don't cross the king, because you will wind up, at the very least, without the very thing that he desires to give you, which is an eternity, without the thing that most people fight every day. Shame. When and if you find yourself tempted, come boldly to the throne in grace. When and if you find yourself in sin, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come decisively, come quickly. That's our wisdom. Trust that God knows what you are going through. Jesus went through it. Now, he did it without sin, but he went through the temptation. It is similar to us. And then turn from sin to God. Do not hide in shame but walk in the light, overcoming the evils of this day to do the works of God set aside for us. There are no bushes. There are no tricks. Don't cross the king. He has been given, in Solomon's case, the wisdom the ability to administer it. And I would tell you that God has it too. It was God's wisdom given to Solomon. God can manage it. He is responsible for it. He can dispense it. And he can apply justice. And if you've been trying to get away with it, you're not going to. You may fool all of us and everybody else that comes along. You'll never fool God. Instead, come boldly before the throne of grace, either for the first time today and become a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and stay there forever. Or again today, if you've been in sin, openly confess to God what it is that you've done. And let His grace wash it all away. He may discipline you, probably already is disciplining you. But in the end, He will set us free for an eternity. Pillars in His house. Praise God. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, just as wisdom is quick and intuitive, and in that way, kind of flashy. We also see that you are able in a moment in time, in this man's life, in Solomon's life, in the life of a lot of prostitutes, you used them. They were the despised of humanity, looked down upon, but so often you exhibit your lessons through people from all walks of life. 
And in a moment of time, you lay down a mark. You say, here's the line. I want you to see this. I want you to know. I gave it for all humanity to know. And then all those things. The most important ones, anyway. Are contained in your word. So we can go back and look at an event that happened thousands, over 2,000 years ago, almost 3,000 years ago. Hear your wisdom. Help us, God. When we screw up, just as we were in Adam, and our body was handed down from him, we have that intention. Rather than wanting to come out into the light and be cleansed and be cleaned up and, and purified from all unrighteousness. And this baffles me even as I pray it, Lord. Sometimes, even rather than being forgiven, we would rather hide in the bush, behind a lie. We would rather exhibit our craftiness than live your wisdom. I'm just going to be transparent for a second, God. I don't want to weep. Not one moment of one day. I mean, it happens. It has happened. It hasn't happened yet today, thankfully. I don't want to suffer. I guess that hasn't happened already today. We're all suffering a little bit all the time. Our bodies are dying off and being rejuvenated. Then for those of us who've been around a little longer, the, the dying off is more so and the rejuvenation is less so. And we realize that this, this earth's not going to last forever. It's going to be renewed, the coming of Jesus. Just in your exact timing. The jobs, the relationship, the money... While we're doing all that we are, it's not going to last forever. Our relationship with you, that's what's really important. I guess I'm grateful that there are no bushes. Because I can see myself burying myself deep in a bush, hiding from the God who loves me. I'm grateful to know now that there are no tricks. I can't push your love away even if I would try. You love all of us, all humans. I know when I engage in trickery, when I behave with modesty that arises out of shame rather than humility and recognizes who my God is, wasting my time and my effort. How we come to you as men and women today. Wanting to be real. Wanting to be true. Wanting to be alive. 
you know, it pains me to pray for it because I know there is hurt in the process. We want to overcome. We want to push through, push past, roll over, dive under, buy low, and sell high. by your grace. Praise you, Father. Help us live a life of faith in a land with no bushes and no tricks. And as for our part, as much as we govern it, teach us how not to cross you. When we do, give us the strength and the wisdom to act quickly and intuitively and come to the throne of grace. To be forgiven again. To be set free. To be cleansed of all unrighteousness. There is someone here today who has not previously accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's someone online who had not previously accepted Jesus Christ for the sake of there's someone listening to the podcast who would not, Lord, give them the will right now, the free will to say, I want to step out of the darkness, I want to climb out of the muck, and I want to do it by the power of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who died on the cross for me, and I want to live the rest of my life for Him. Let them just say, God, help me. Let that be enough. For those of us who have already accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let us stop playing around. Let us stop pretending that there are bushes. Let us stop pretending that there are tricks. Let us stop pretending that we can get one up over on you and that we won't reap what we sow. For in our hearts, we know we will. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to sing this song. It's not so much an invitation as an opportunity for you to meditate and think on what we've done today here together and as we've looked at his word and then if the, if the Lord has either uh, saved your soul for the first time ever today or if you've uh, repented of some sin and turned to him and are experiencing his cleansing then as we sing this song you can just raise your hand where we are and God will hear and God will know and he's in charge if you're online, online listening to us then you raise your hand right where you are in your living room or at your kitchen table whatever it is just tell God I'm here Lord use me as you would see fit and I intend never to turn back Again. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. He loves us. He's at work in us. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you that the same wisdom is available to us. Not the wisdom of Solomon. It is the wisdom of our God. Thank you, God.
This concludes our services today, but I hope you'll go and walk in the strength of the Lord. I know it's, it's tough, especially right now it's been tough. It's been helping so many people, and life has changed so much. Don't be afraid. The Lord sees our struggles. He sees our burdens, both as a nation and, more importantly, as the kingdom of God. And He is at work in His people. Let us go and let Him be at work in us and take us through those difficult times. And we will overcome and we will become pillars in the house of our God. And He will write our God's name upon us. And we will sit on His throne with Him as He sat on His Father's throne. We have overcome. So let us go as the church and overcome. God bless you today. Thank you for being here. All right, you've been listening to New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church in East Toledo. New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo is a Southern Baptist church. Uh, subscribing to the Baptist Faith and Message 2004. We were planted four years ago. Uh, really, we were planted about 15 years ago, but we constituted four years ago. And so May 22nd of 2020 is our fourth anniversary. Our anniversary celebration has been postponed, as well as a number of other fellowship activities. However, our worship service goes on. As you've been listening to a live worship service that took place on May 17, 2020, we hope that you are blessed and reaching new heights in Jesus. You can check us out on our website at churchtoledo.com. If you need to give to the ministry in the most expedient fashion, you can probably text G-I-V-E to 419-419-0095 and give via your credit or debit card. You can also give online or mail checks to 255 Hefner Toledo, Ohio, 43 Hefner Street, Toledo, Ohio, 43605. If you need to call the church, the phone number is 419-469-8808. If you want to be involved in our information updates and get texts periodically for free things and events and things like that that are going on, you can text INFO to that same phone number, 419-419-0095. Make sure you're in our info group. All right. Well, there's probably other things I could say, but I hope you're reaching new heights in Jesus today. Know that we want to encourage you. Come before the throne of grace. There is no reason for anyone to have a broken relationship with God or to be subject to God's wrath, as Ephesians 2 says, because Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay for sins. And being our payment for sins, he would surely like you to have a good relationship with his Father God. Lord, help us all as we face difficulties, and it's up and down, I know, and so actually things are getting a little better now because with the COVID thing, but there's still a lot of people who are suffering, and so we pray for all of them, and we pray that you've had the opportunity to reach new heights in Jesus today and going forward. God bless you. <laughs>